You are listening to Kaleidoscope, Reflections on Islam, a podcast sponsored by the Abbasi Program in Islamic Studies at Stanford University, dedicated to exploring how people engage with Islam and Muslims today. I'm your host, Ambreen Bhatti, and for this episode, we're headed to college. For me, college was a pretty long time ago, but recently I got to go back to campus, this time as a fellow at Stanford, and it turns out that some things don't change. College is still, for many people, a time to think about identity. What makes any one of us Muslim or not Muslim? What kind of Muslim do I want to be? What kind of Muslim community do I want to be a part of? Muslim students at Stanford are thinking about those questions just like I was as a college student. Take Osama Agabalawi, a fifth-year student in the computer science department, finishing up a biocomputation specialty. We caught up on campus for a couple of minutes. I came from Los Angeles. I was I was born in I was born in Seattle, uh, and lived there for six years. And then my parents, due to you know warmer weather and the availability of Islamic schools, we moved to Los Angeles when I was about six, and then. Uh, grew up in, pretty much grew up in Los Angeles and Pasadena, and uh, you know got involved in the Muslim community over there. LA has got a much you know bigger and more spread out. I mean, LA is by nature a spread out place, so the Muslim community there is pretty spread out and fragmented. But that's home for me. What was that like? I asked. What I've been used to is like the. You know, typical American Muslim community is, you know, there's, you know, you go, you do, like, sometimes a Sunday school, you, you do, you go to, like, the Ramadan, the Iftars, and stuff like that, but you don't really talk about issues like, for example, dating, or gender identity, or sexual identity, or, you know, even if you're not dealing with these issues or grappling with them, you, there's only, like, like, you, you don't really talk about, you know, how to grapple with them, or the correct mindset to grapple with them, or, uh, you know, there's usually just one type of, like, mainstream view, and that's kind of, that's kind of your view unless you challenge it, and I think that's a big part of coming to Stanford was, you know, like, meeting a lot of people and challenging a lot of the traditional mainstream views I had, I guess, Um, but I think when you grow up in a community like, you know, a a typical American Muslim community, you have a lot of expectations of what a Muslim community is supposed to feel like, or, you know, how it's supposed to, like, embrace you, and for a lot of people, it actually turns them away. Making space for those people is important to Osama and to others in the Stanford Muslim community. So last year... We we brought um, Imam Dai, who's one of the, one of According to Wikipedia, one of three openly gay imams in the world and the open, only openly gay imam in America. And MSAN brought him to campus last year, and ISSU co-sponsored. And it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't like an endorsement of his views. It was just him talking about his life and what brought him to Islam because he's a convert. And, you know, and he talked, he shared some incredible stories. And I think most, almost all 
who attended the event really enjoyed it. But, you know, you can't, it's, I'd say it's very difficult on any college campus to bring, you know, in the game um, without, you know, a little bit of, of resistance is one way to put it. I think people might, I think one thing that people, you know, took a problem with was the fact that he called himself an imam. And basically this raised a lot of issues, you know, because I can guarantee you that there are, you know, students in our community who, you know, identify as gay, whether they're, or LGBT, whether they're out or not, is, you know, up to them, but they are dealing with this. And, you know, it was very important for a lot of people in our community to bring him. I mean, I've talked to people who were like, thank you, that was a very important event. He talked about, you know, Imam Dai talked about, you know, how there was a, someone who died from HIV and how there was no mosque willing to, you know, do funeral processions for that person. And that's like, you know, one of his entry like roles into becoming an Imam because there was a lot of people who identify as LGBT in Washington, D.C., and they were not receiving the services that, you know, led to a happy life. And that, that's like kind of the part of the story he shared. And I thought it was very important. Anyways, so afterwards, after the event, there was a huge backlash um, against, you know, the leadership. One, it's like, why did ISSU co-sponsor this? Two, why is he calling himself an imam? Three, this doesn't support my mainstream view. And it was, it was, it was pretty messy. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it shook up a lot of people in leadership who were like, you know, because a lot of people sent very angry emails. And you, these, first of all, people don't realize that a lot of leadership, they're all volunteers. And there was a lot of meetings, but what it started off with were people just emailing the officer saying, I'm very disappointed in you guys. And then afterwards, um, we sent out an email saying, hey, if you have a complaint or a thought or comment, please share it on this form. And then I went through the process of curating it and, like, highlighting some of the more recurring themes and, you know, sharing that with leadership in a more, you know, formal, un, you know, with taking out the angry, mean, hostile tone and just, you know, doing, like, just seeing what we can learn from in terms of, you know, putting on events like this and how to best do it. And, yeah, there was a lot of things we could have done better, but overall, I don't think there was any regret in terms of holding the event or bringing Imam Dai. I think there could have been things, you know, perhaps mitigate the flashback, flashback, but I think, you know, it's good to make people a little bit uncomfortable with the events we hold, even if that's within our own community, and challenging people's views is a very important part of what the Muslim community does, or the Muslim community leadership does. Not all of the reactions were bad, of course. A lot of the positive reaction, and for me personally, came from a lot of the alumni. They were saying that, you know, you guys had the courage to do what we did not, what we, we couldn't, you know. We we wanted to hold an event like this. There was a movie called Jihad for Love, and because there was, like, over so much preliminary backlash, they decided to cancel the event. And, you know, that was just a movie, and, you know, Namdai is, like, a person making him was a little bit more significant, but a lot of the positive remarks, you know, came for, one, alumni, and then, two, from students, and this is, like, you know, on a very personal level, some students who associate and affiliate as LGBT coming behind closed doors and telling leadership and telling me, you know, thank you for putting on this event. It really meant a lot to me. Working through those issues as a community is important. It's important for the community's growth and for the growth of the individual students. But I can't help but think that sometimes those growing pains can overwhelm. I mean, that was a lot. A lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of emotion. 
Osama told me about Stanford's Markaz Resource Center, a new center for engagement with the people and cultures of the Muslim world. This past fall, the Markaz got its first director, Mona Damluji, a scholar with expertise in visual culture, film studies, and urban history in the Middle East and Muslim world. Would the story he just told me have played out differently if it had taken place this year instead of last? I think since the Marquez itself is a non-religious space, I mean, it's created for, you know, to discuss exactly Muslim cultural issues and the American Muslim uh, narrative, both those, both of those, like, with equal weight. I think it would have been a very... Um, you know, a very important, I mean, I think Mona could have played a very important role in it, you know, inviting Imam Dai and, you know, maybe taking a lot of that, a lot of the burden off the student leadership because as students, we are, you know, we're held accountable to the community, whereas Mona, she's held accountable to the student affairs, to student education, you know, providing resources for students who need them. And if for her, she, she could say, you know, there's students here who really need this event to happen. And I'm going to hold this event for them. Whereas the Muslim community, the leadership was like, oh, no, like, we are accountable to the entire community. And our, that's what, you know, critics invoke, that you're accountable to us and you're not representing us. And it's all about us. And, you know, I think it would would have really helped put on this event a lot more smoothly. I mean, I'm not saying, like, it works better one way or another. I mean, I think it's important for students to, you know, put on these important events and for us to kind of change the climate and, you know, just the environment and how we... The Marquez is pretty unique, I've realized. In fact, it's the only center of its kind at an American university. Here's Mona with some background. It was born out of um, a long history of student um, involvement uh, in organizing around um, Muslim identities and experiences, and not just, of course, in in the sense of um, a religious community, but also around um, the many different intersections with political identities and political issues that are contemporary and have been um, even before 9-11. So uh, there was two organizations that came about, um, uh, ISSU, which was more of a sort of uh, religiously grounded community, um, and then there was eventually a group called MSAN, the Muslim Student Awareness Network, which dealt explicitly with uh, programming that connected to social, political, cultural issues related to Islam um, and Muslim experiences. And the two organizations um, for a long time um, worked closely together and also began to advocate for the idea that there should actually be a community center on campus that was like the other community centers, um, other community centers, for example, are the, uh, the women's community center, the LGBTQ center, um, and then our uh, ethnic um, centers are the uh, the Black House, the um, Native American Cultural Center, El Centro Chicano Latino, y Latino, and uh, the Asian American Activity Center. My role is not as a spiritual leader, it's as a sort of community leader and facilitator, and again, a director of the Center for Engagement with Cultural and Social Dimensions of Islam and Muslim um, Experiences. That's partly because Stanford sees the role of spiritual leader as something entirely separate, by the way. 
It's a role they're hiring for right now, actually. The Marcus hasn't replaced ISSU and the Muslim Student Awareness Network, the two student groups Mona mentioned. It exists in addition to them. Or rather, in addition to the Muslim Student Union, which was formed this year when those two groups merged. We realized that the Muslim population on campus is pretty small, and the people who identify as Muslim, like, in the groups, was the amount of people was very small as well. So you ended up having, like, a group of 20 people that was divided in two, and it would just make more sense to put them together. And that's why the Muslim Student Union formed. That's Amina Tawakul, a junior econ major and the co-president of the Muslim Student Union. So what's its role? Where does it fit in the lives of Stanford students? One thing that I think people don't realize is that, like, a Muslim group on campus is not supposed to be like a campus mosque. It's really supposed to be a student group. And a lot of people just kind of assume that it's going to have the same judgments and social experiences as a mosque. And some people even come in expecting that the Muslim Student Union is like a mosque on campus. We're all going to do everything that a mosque does. But that's really not the purpose. Now that we have the two groups combined into one, um, the two previous groups, the purpose is one, to educate campus on the Muslim world, Muslim issues, um, and kind of expose people on campus to their religion. And the other is to provide like a group for people who identify as Muslim to kind of come together and get support or just have fun. Sounds familiar, right? That first purpose? To me, it sounded a lot like what the Marcus is trying to do with more resources and possibly more success, which made me wonder if it doesn't make sense for the Muslim Student Union to just focus on the latter purpose. I asked Amina what she thought about that. I came into leadership at the Muslim community thinking that we should be engaging people outside and we should really be planning events like around the mission of engaging other students on campus and giving them what they want to see. But then I've come to the realization that most students on campus don't really care about the Muslim world, Muslim issues. I mean, I'm sure they would benefit from exposure to this, but if they're weighing it against working on a problem set or going to a social event, they're not going to choose to come to our events. So I've learned that I have to kind of not really hold this high expectation of engaging random students from around campus and figure out that our target audience will be those international relations students, the students of Arabic. Um, when we do activist events, other activist students, um, or when we do events that relate to like minority status of Muslims, then it would be other students of minority status who are coming to our events. But we really need to realize who our audience realistically is and then frame the events towards those audiences instead of trying to aim big and say, oh, anyone on campus can come, but really no one on no one from general campus will come. Most students really, yeah, they do know what they want. Um, they go to events strategically because they want to gain a position of leadership in an organization um, or don't go to events at all because they'd rather be getting an A-plus in their class and studying all the time um, or just want to spend their free time socializing with friends and don't want to enrich their experience with extracurricular events, which is perfectly fine. But um, I think... In my opinion, there's a surplus of student groups planning events on campus and not enough students who are interested in them. Man, that sounded a lot like what college was like when I was there, which, like I said, was a long time ago, more than 15 years ago. I remember planning events, ordering food, setting up, sitting there on a Tuesday night waiting for people to come, and no one. Okay, not no one, but not that many people. You get the point. 
I think I joined the Muslim student groups on campus more for like to have a way to be connected to my religion um, rather than for like what they actually do. And even until last year, like you would have a lot of people saying like, what do these groups actually do? So I think that's a problem with, well, not a problem, but it's the fact of Muslim student groups at Stanford is that a lot of people join them just looking for social opportunities and for people that they can identify with, um, not really caring what the mission of the groups is. So it's a challenge when you have like a leadership made up of people who initially joined these groups just because they wanted to make friends and didn't even care what the mission of the groups was. And then now you have the leadership trying to accomplish things and you have to step back and be like, what do we want to accomplish? Why is this group here in the first place? So what should the purpose of a Muslim student group be today? What's realistic? And what support should a secular university be providing, both for its Muslim students and for anyone who wants to engage with the so-called Muslim world? Seems like Stanford's still working all of that out, but where they're going, I think, as promised. I know I'll be paying attention. To share your thoughts about the questions we just asked, get in touch with us through Facebook or Twitter or email kaleidoscope at lists.stanford.edu. Thanks for listening and to the Abbasi program for its support. Till next time.